Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 229 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. And I'm also joined by Hamil Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? Cool. All right, so it's pretty much a lot of follow-up today, as well as uh, some meat and potatoes in here. So first thing for follow-up is is uh, on the HomePod, our favorite you know new device of 2018. But uh, So Renny Ritchie put out a, a, another Vector video. He's doing a really good job with Vector. I don't think Vector's been out six months, right? But uh, it's a good review of, of HomePod and looking at some of the things that are that work well in HomePod and some of the things that he thinks could be improved in HomePod. So I don't know if you guys had a chance to look at this video. It's probably about a 20 minute long or 10 minute long piece, but I really enjoyed it and uh, recommend people have a look at it. Yeah, I, I think it was reasonably fair on the mm-hmm. um, the pros and cons. I think it's a little too hand wavy for, for my taste. And, and granted, not everybody feels this way when it comes to covering the privacy versus utility aspect. Um, mm-hmm. I completely understand why it would be, to Renee Ritchie's point, very difficult from a privacy and security and just an app store review sort of standpoint if they allowed the HomePod to trigger actions uh, that are based on web services, just the way that the Google Assistant or the uh, Amazon Alexa do. That makes that makes sense. I get that. Um, I think there are a lot of really cool things that can be done on device and on you know local network, um, you know, never even reaches Apple sort of thing. I think right, it's yeah. just a little too limiting and it, it strikes me as they will have to come up with a way to overcome that limitation in a privacy-centric way if they want to keep up with this as it continues to evolve in the future. Right now, it's pretty pretty early days for this uh, for this sort of thing. Um, however you slice it, voice assistant, the magical oracle that you ask questions, or even home automation stuff. And so I don't think it matters as much, but you see more things coming out of Amazon and Google at this year's, uh, what does CES stand for? Consumer Electronics Show? That's correct, yeah. Um, and they're integrating with tons of things, and they're like, hey, um, you can check into your flight 
site seamlessly from Google Assistant, and very soon that will mean anywhere the Assistant is available. Uh, that's going to be a little bit harder for Apple to keep up with if it doesn't find a way to do like the equivalent of differential privacy with regards to um, web-based services. I don't know what that means. I've, I've speculated on this show before. Maybe it means uh, if you want to do this, we're going to host. We, Apple, are going to host your code, and if you do terrible things, we're going to shut down your code. That makes sense. Like, like not just you know, like today they can pull stuff from the App Store or the Mac App Store, um, but maybe also something where they can just pull access for your service that they are running on the um, Apple Cloud, for example. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that was it was a good. I think it was a good piece from the point of view of like like looking at I, it sort of emphasizing the fact that we're talking about apples and oranges here. Like we're like the HomePod is not Alexis and it's not the Google Home and or the Facebook Pod thing, whatever they call that. You know, Facebook Invasion Matic or whatever. But um, you know that that the emphasis here is is on amazing music quality and that kind of stuff. And and Siri as as Siri stands right now where it is. And and I kind of got the impression that based on what he was saying that Randy Ritchie was saying that that the it's almost like Apple is going to be leading from behind again. Like you know, it's not a big deal that you know you can get like a the, what with the little Google Home thing selling for like forty dollars at Christmas time, and I think the Echoes were quite cheap as well. Um, yeah, and, and Echo has some cool things. Like a friend of mine, friend of mine got one for his kids and himself, and he can like you know broadcast to them saying dinner's ready and that kind of stuff across the, the house and that kind of thing. But um, and that's not something Apple would do, I don't think. But um, I think emphasizing you know the sort of sound quality and and where Apple's going, sort of big picture ish. You know um, that it's not don't compare this to the the much low, lower priced um, Alexis and and um, Google Home products because they're they're sort of serving a different need. Right than what the, where the the HomePod is going. Do you agree? Disagree? Yes and no. Like, it, it definitely makes sense in that it's much more of a higher fidelity audio sort of device, um, and that that completely makes sense. There maybe the Google Home Max. Um, I, I haven't listened to that one in person myself, but I would guess only the Google Home Max, which is like mm, about three hundred ish, maybe four hundred ish dollars. So roughly the price of a of a HomePod is, as far as I know, the only one that is uh, made by Google or Amazon that even just tries to compete in audio fidelity. It was very clear the HomePod started as a pre-Siri device and, you know, it's like, hey, here's this cool thing we can do something great with with home audio. But I think even if they're coming from opposite ends where, you know, Amazon has these, you know, these tinny um, cylinders that, that produce, you know, okay-ish audio, but not great audio, they're very rapidly moving over to the other side of the spectrum with higher fidelity audio with stuff like um, integration with Sonos, right? With Sonos has great right, speakers yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and they have apparently not both at the same time, but you can do either Google Assistant or uh, Amazon Alexa on there. And I worry that that Apple's like saying, hey, like here's what we're going to focus on isn't necessarily where the whole thing is going. Granted, the leading from behind, but um, you got to have something pretty revolutionary to leapfrog when you're leading from behind, right? Like, yeah, there were touch devices. Yeah, there were tablets prior to the, either the iPhone or the iPad, but the new devices that came out were just like so much better than those old devices. It's really hard for me to imagine what Apple could possibly do that would leapfrog what Google and Amazon are doing in this space. So do you think this product is similar to the original Apple TV, you know, the big giant, you know, five and a quarter inch thing that they had back in the day, like the composite video on the back of it? Because remember that was out for a long time and it was around when Steve Jobs was around and he was, I think he was pretty disappointed that it wasn't as, had taken off as much as it had, right? Do you think that that's where this particular HomePod 1.0 is is sort of sitting? Like if there's going to be a new HomePod or HomePod 2 or something that's going to eclipse this one? I'm probably not the best person for that because I'm not even sure which Apple TV you're talking about because I, I didn't have XP 
experience with it. So I'll, I'll look in Mark's right. direction for that one. I have one behind me, by the way, <laughs> in the museum. Yeah, I didn't have the, I, I never had the first Apple TV either. But but I think, Tim, the question you're asking is is not so much whether it's it's the same type of product as Apple TV. You're just saying, is it is it in the same status as it was where where yeah. because it because it wasn't as big a hit as 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 Apple might have hoped, they haven't been putting a lot of resources into improving it. Yeah, they went back and they rethought the Apple TV and they brought it out. And I think, I mean, the original Apple TV was was sort of meant to be like a media hub. It's got like a 500 gig hard drive in it, and you know, you could put Plex on it if you if you jailbroke uh, uh, it and that kind of stuff, right? But um, I mean, you made an interesting point actually that that it seems like this product was meant as a audio solution more than a personal assistant type uh, solution, and and that uh, that makes me wonder whether adding Siri was kind of an afterthought that mm. was put in purely to enable integration with Apple Music. It's it's possible it's possible that and now interesting that Tim you mentioned Apple TV. It's interesting that it was originally conceived of as part of a home theater solution. Yeah, with, yeah. with Apple TV, uh, and because that kind of never panned out, it was maybe shelved a little bit until they until uh, Apple Music came about, and then it made sense to integrate the two and make it a product. Well, we'll never know, but it's an interesting thing to think about. But I mean, the Apple the original Apple TV was sort of like a, a road Apple in terms of you know like the you know the, the, the various products that Apple's had over the years that that didn't really take off, right? Right. Like you, like how many didn't even know what the hell that I was talking about? You know, I'm going to find you a picture of it by the way. Well, remember when it came out at, at the time, Steve Jobs was talking about how how TV was going to be the next big thing for Apple, and and it never did happen. Uh, so it is possible that yeah, the speaker was part of a overall larger solution that never yeah, never true. came to never came to be. True. Yeah, and the refocus on Apple Music would kind of make sense um, in terms of the fact that I think Renee Ritchie brings it up in this video that it would be nice if you could use one or more home pods as like a sound bar exactly. for your Apple TV. Yeah, like, yeah. like it should do yeah. that, right? Like that's an obvious thing it should already do. Um, and the fact that it doesn't does kind of make you wonder like, oh, wonder if it did it at one point and then they shelved it uh, with, you know, respect to the old Apple TV. And then they said, hey, uh, we've got Apple Music coming. It seems like it would make sense for this speaker thing, right? Great. Let's go ship it with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it might have been sitting around in, in their lab somewhere as, as a prototype and uh, never, you know, never saw the light of day until Apple Music came around and, and then it then it made sense to actually productize it. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, and Tim, to do real-time follow-up on the, uh, the uh, Facebook <laughs> Invade Your Privacy O-Tron, uh, that mm-hmm. would be the Facebook portal, the right, product yeah. referring to, but Invade O-Tron, Invade O-Magic, like, I, I, could, I could accept those as pet names. Well, he was comparing that to, like, you could just put an iPad in a stand and you've got the same thing. You could talk to it, you could do Siri with it, you know, it could show you recipes and stuff like that, and you could pick it up and use it like an iPad, too, you know? which was part of his point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's move on. Um, so, Jaime, you got something from CES, I guess? Yeah, speaking of TVs and, uh, and Apple TV and all those other stuff, it was uh, a couple announcements came out. Um, the first one, the big one that I saw was that Samsung announced with Apple that its Samsung smart TVs are going to launch with an iTunes app as well as support for AirPlay 2 starting in new models in uh, spring 2019. Uh, of course, I should mention that there are other manufacturers that are going to support AirPlay 2, including uh, several models from LG, uh, Samsung, I mentioned, Sony, and Vizio. As of this recording, the only one that I'm aware of that has the 
iTunes channel or iTunes app, whatever they're going to call it, uh, is Samsung. So this is kind of an interesting one. This, of course, is for their smart TVs, not sort of dumb TVs. That so are, wait, they're going to have the know. Apple TV or Apple service in there? So they, they apparently will have the ability to view iTunes movies and TV shows and oh, okay. presumably music. I'm not sure. It's not 100% clear. I'm looking at a photo here that shows uh, what appears to be, um, let's say, like a normal uh, smart TV or if you're familiar with like a Roku or even Apple TV itself, it's the inter- interface. You usually can choose like, oh, I want to watch Netflix or Prime Video or Hulu or YouTube. Uh, iTunes shows up in this particular photo example, uh, illustration example, as a, another selectable content area. Yeah, right? I, have, I have a Samsung TV and, and in a lot of ways it acts like an Apple TV where you have essentially apps. Uh, obviously, you can't develop for them. Uh, and uh, just recently, I noticed that Amazon Prime Video showed up as an app, so I can now watch Amazon Prime Video on my yep. Samsung TV, which is which is a cool thing. So it, it seems like they're just making an effort to to make everything available, which is which is a great great strategy. Yeah, I have a, I have Samsung TV as well, and so I I use the TV Samsung TV for Netflix and for Prime. I do right? as well. Yeah, yeah, and then I just use the Apple TV for the, all the other stuff. <laughs> kind of thing, you know? What other stuff do you use it for? Uh, well, Apple TV content. I get a couple of, there's a couple of TV channels that I have apps for. Oh, okay. Um, my my, my uh, internet provider now has streaming television uh-huh. that they serve up on an app called Bell, Bell 5 or something like that. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I, I, I unfortunately TV. find myself almost never using my Apple TV, which is kind of a shame. Uh, I, I used to use it for Netflix, but now Netflix is available built into the TV. Right, yeah. And now Amazon Prime is built in the TV, so it's unfortunately becoming less and less useful for me at least you don't have any apps loaded up in your uh like in your apple tv i i, I do have a few apps but you know nothing that is nothing that i really need to use that i that i can't find for tv watching somewhere else well, one of the things i do though is if i'm sitting on the couch and i've got some youtube content or even when i'm editing the, the doing a final pass edit of the podcast mm-hmm. i'll um airdrop it over to the uh the apple tv right mm-hmm. and then i'll you know listen to the through bit better speakers or or if i'm doing a LinkedIn course or whatever, I'll project it onto the... Uh, actually, the, I think the Linda app is inside the Apple TV as well, so I, I um, do that that way. That's what I use. Yeah, a- actually, now that you mention it, I, I do use it for AirPlay. So if I want to watch something on that's on my computer and I want to watch it on the big screen, on the TV yeah. screen, I, I will use uh, the Apple TV as, as just a, an AirPlay Conduit, media yeah. for that. Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing is I didn't even think of that because I, I, I don't even think of that as the Apple TV. Uh, I was thinking about the, the Apple TV on its own and, and the content that you get through the Apple TV as opposed to it just being a, a vehicle for getting the video onto my actual TV. Right. That's interesting. Right. Yeah. The, the reason I put this as follow-up uh, as opposed <laughs> oh, to like yes. a brand new news article in the um, in the main content is I believe this is reasonably good follow-up to our discussion the week prior where we said, hey, you know, Apple's stock wasn't looking too great. Their outlook wasn't looking too great uh, for this upcoming quarter. Right. And we thought that, hey, you know, they're going to smooth that out with more services. And this seemed like a really big play towards, yeah, let's open some things up. Services like iTunes, for example, and presumably the um, the forthcoming television service, Netflix-like service that they're supposed to be launching soon-ish. It kind of makes sense to me that they would open up to other platforms.
platforms and say, all right, the Apple TV will continue to be the best experience. Uh, you know, hopefully they integrate it with more with HomePod. Hopefully they can do more cool things with iPhone and iPad uh, and, the, and the Mac. But if you already have a Samsung or Sony or LG or Vizio TV, no real reason why we can't continue to collect money from you for, yeah, exactly. uh, you know, you buy something on iTunes or you subscribe to our TV service. You want to watch it on Samsung? Fine. Do that by all means. Um, instead of like, if they were to jealously try to like make sure that the Apple TV unit sales are up versus like, well, okay, maybe they'll level off. It's still the best way to do it. But if you want to give us money through other avenues, why not? I mean, they have Apple music available on Android. So why not? Yeah, that's a great play. I mean, they did that. That's what, what uh, sort of sold the phone initially, you know, got it big, more market share by, by putting iTunes on Windows, right? Um, that was sort of the, the, what do you call it? The, what do you call it? You know, thing that sort of tipping point for, for iTunes, right? Was, or for like, the iPod itself. Uh, not the phone, the iPod, I think, right? Because when they put the iPod, sorry, the people, iPod became more accessible to people when they put Windows, went on Windows. So same thing with Apple's TV services and iTunes and that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh-huh. it's, it's expanding the ecosystem. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And you got to diversify. I mean, you can't really sort of focus in on one product as we've seen in the last couple of weeks, you know, too much focus on one area um, can can really hurt a business, right? So, mm-hmm. by the way, in the show notes, I, mean, I just pasted in a, a post from Twitter that I put up a couple of months ago uh, that shows my OG uh, Apple TV. See the size of it compared to the... Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Like, I knew it was bigger, but I didn't realize it was that much bigger. Yeah. It's the size of a Mac Mini, basically. You know? Yeah. And it's uh, had a very... Like, I think it maybe had a 2.0, Apple TV 2.0. It wasn't even like iOS. It was sort of its own proprietary uh, thing. So I'm pretty sure I j- we jaywalk it and put Plex on it. And not that I ever did anything with Plex, but still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just... You know, I think it makes sense because the Apple... I don't think Apple is going to really play in the cheap device market and for streaming, like assuming your TV doesn't have smart TV capabilities, or, or let's say you're not even using them, your other alternatives are very, very um, inexpensive devices from Google in the form of the Chromecast. Roku has the Roku Stick in addition to its, you know, roughly Apple TV sized sort of hockey puck looking thing. Amazon, same thing. It has more expensive devices that more compete a little bit more directly with the Apple TV in pricing, but it also has El Cheapo you know, Amazon Fire TV stick that are like, we're talking 25 bucks here. Like, I really can't see Apple playing in that realm. Um, I don't expect them to release uh, a device that would compete with that. And I think the natural way to not lose the, you know, um, lose sight of the brand, I guess, is to say, oh, we're also available in this other area, in this other ecosystem, like Samsung and Sony TVs and stuff. It's, like, mm-hmm. it's not like you're buying the channel, right? You're logging in with your normal credentials and then maybe you're buying things through, um, through that interface, but it's not the same as like, oh, now we have to have, you know, a tiny cheap piece of plastic that we slap a le- Apple logo on and then ship it out there for 25 bucks. I, I just couldn't see that happening. Right, right. Cool. All right, well, moving on. Um, this is a quick uh, quick follow-up here that we're talking about 5G quite a bit lately, and uh, um, AT&T got busted kind of by by uh, updating people's uh, status bars by adding a 5G lowercase e uh, logo to the, to the screen to imply that this running some sort of 5G version of LTE, but um, apparently it's not. <laughs> and so uh, they got called out for that, though. I don't know if you guys saw that at all. Yeah, not surprising, given that they did exactly the same thing with 4G when that came out. Oh, did they? They did sort of preemptively... Yeah, so they had this they had this format that was uh, 3G sort of plus. You know, it was a little bit faster than 3G, but it was still ba- 
based on 3G technology. And they called it 4G at the time that 4G was just starting to get rolled out. So it wasn't right. LTE. It was it was some, you know, it was it was some uh you know three as I said, three G plus, but they were calling it four G. Right, right. So kind this is this is not a surprise. Yeah. Well it's kind of a little bit underhanded, but you know, yeah. could, could fool people, right? Oh, I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying it's not a surprise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was it HS HSPA plus? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that sounds, okay. That sounds right. I might have those in the wrong order, but I knew it was H something plus. Yeah. It looks like here they're not putting five G, they're putting five G E, where the E stands for evolution and not um Oh really? I looked up for synonyms of lie on the SARS.com <laughs> and the closest I come up with for E is evasion. So five yeah. G oh. evasion. Did, did a picture of the president show up? Oh. <laughs> Might have to cut yeah. that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe not. Um, all right, so uh, um, yeah, so what do you tell us what's happening over at GitHub, honey? Yeah, this is a follow up from the discussion we had about Microsoft acquiring GitHub, and they announced just recently uh, that being GitHub that they will allow um, for unlimited private repositories um, that are free to GitHub users. There is a restriction; I think it's like three collaborators. I forget. It's, it's three. Collaborators. This is um, in contrast to what they used to have before, where all uh, publicly available repositories were free. Um, but if you wanted to have private repositories, you had to pony up money per month. Um, I think this is where Bitbucket and GitLab sort of made a yep, fair amount yep. of their dough because they didn't have that restriction. Um, I assume that this is a competitive move to stay uh, you know, within reasonable sort of spitting distance of those. I don't know what the restrictions, if any, there are on collaborators for Bitbucket or uh, GitLab with regard regards to free private repositories, but I think this is more for smaller scale, you know, like indie dev or maybe yeah. um, college, you know, I can imagine college, you know, team projects being three or fewer collaborators. Yeah. I mean, I moved over to Bitbucket because of because of exactly this issue, because um, I wasn't getting paid by people to keep their data, you know, off the grid, um, but I, I, needed, I wanted it and needed it to be private. So um, I moved over to Bitbucket when, because um, I think I was on GitHub at first and then and then i found then they started charging five dollars a month or something like that to have uh or it was a certain number of repos you could have for free i think and then then they started charging or whatever but anyway i moved over to, to bitbucket because of that that exact reason in fact they didn't have to they didn't charge for free uh, repos right or uh, private repos so tim are you going to absolutely not migrate no well, not let's talk about that because we chatted a little no. bit about that offline yeah whether i whether i whether i trust microhub um yeah i don't know um i it, you know why would I move? I mean, there's other than you know, Bitbucket is or Latsian is, is is pretty secure. You know, um, you know they've got the two-factor authentication going over there now, and you know I don't have any reason. I'm not a huge. I'm not really doing a lot of ton of coding these days, right? But I still want to have you know even as an offsite storage kind of approach. You know, to have my my stuff up there in the cloud somewhere. You know, but and I kind of trust Latsian, I guess. Do you pay <laughs> but, for uh, their service? For- no. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's free, free, unlimited. Uh, yeah. Repos or private repos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. And again, I don't know. I, I've never really worked with large teams. I think the most teams I've ever had was probably three or four people on my own projects, right? So, yeah. And it's handy because, you know, I can also put up customer work up there and then they're happy to have it, you know, privately held and, you know, they have access to it so, as well. So, no, I wouldn't. I don't think I'd move back to GitHub, even though I, I do still have a, have a GitHub account and I still work with other teams on GitHub. But uh, no. Yeah, I think that might be a big stumbling block. Not to say it will be for everyone, but um, I think this is 
still related to, I don't know what to call it, uncertainty around what Microsoft leading GitHub really means and yeah, yeah. some concerns about intentions. And I mean, I framed this as a, this particular move as a competitive move of like, hey, why, why would you even charge? You're, you're not individual GitHub trying to stay alive in the world. You are an arm, a subsidiary of the very large, very profitable Microsoft Corporation. And so, yeah, I mean, if I was product managing it, I would say, yeah, give it for free. Why not? Why, why would yeah. we? I don't care about that money. I care about people continuing to use our services and we could upsell them or cross sell them to use Azure and integrate with that. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it costs them pretty much nothing to do this because most repos aren't that big and space is cheap for someone like Microsoft. So, yeah. you know, it, it's goodwill uh, with their user base and keeps people from switching away. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But again, whether I'd come back or not, I mean, it's, it's you know, six, one, half dozen, another, you know, um, if I, I don't have any compelling reason to move back, mm-hmm. right? Or, do, or, I mean, I still have an account there and I don't have any compelling reason to go put my stuff there. So, although they, you know, because I, I, Bitbucket's in, I don't know how long Bitbucket's been around, but um, I mean, I first heard about them back in 2010 or 2011 when I went to WWDC, they were handing out stickers and that's when I first learned about them. And a few years later, I was next thing I was on their platform. So, yep. Anyway, another uh, quick story here. This is just a, a posting that I saw on uh, 9to5Mac of a case or a back back of a, a iPad mini that um, has no screen, just sort of leaked onto the internet, uh, which looks sort of promising with... Uh, mind you, I don't know about this because it has curved edges on the side. Did you guys notice that? I just noticed that now when I looked at it in large large size. Mm. Yeah, as opposed to the I, the new iPad Pro style. With the square, yeah. Square edged, yeah. Mind you, I guess the new, the, the new iPad iPad, you know, the, the one that supports the crayon doesn't have the square uh, square back, right? Um, it still has the curved back. So this interesting interesting thing, the picture of what it looks like with it with the new antenna design, you know, in the back, and a single camera, not not sticky outy like the uh, iPad Pros. Yeah, it's, it looks interesting, like a notch on the back. Yeah, <laughs> the back notch, yeah. the antenna line, yeah, <laughs> the back groove, mm-hmm. the blood channel, they might call it. Well, the 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 traditionally the uh, the cellular antenna on the back has been the pl- like a plastic panel back there, right? Um, like, as you see, if you scroll down a bit more, you can see um, how, how it was, I guess. Uh, almost, maybe this is the same picture, but, but there's a headphone jack too. Interesting. Yeah, I, hmm. it, it would be really nice if they showed, um, like, I, I mean, it's hard to tell from the right-hand photo, and I apologize because this is an audio medium. We, of course, will have the links in the show notes for those of you driving home. Um, it's a little unclear to me if that is going to be a notch device for this iPad mini. Um, I'll sort of table that one because I'm really unclear. I don't know what I'm looking at with that camera setup. Um, vis-a-vis the what is required in that same general space for the antenna. But it, it seems like this iPad mini is largely a spec bump and not like an all new form factor, yeah. as, as you mentioned, yeah. Tim. Yeah. I, I, I mean, my, you know, kind of crude eye here, just I sort of see a, a, a camera having a look at all the sort of fix it, fix things, whatever, um, over on the on the web. That, that looks to me like a, a standard front facing camera in the center of the picture on the right, right? Yeah. No. And I, I think a spec bump wouldn't be all that um, unsatisfactory because it's been a while since the iPad mini was updated, right? It seems like it's a little, little yeah. old and dusty. So giving it, you know, hot new components seems like a, like a like a pretty good solid sell. Yeah. And if it's a non-pro device, it doesn't necessarily need, you know, face ID or, you know, flash photography, as they say on the here. So, and does the new iPad have flash? I can't remember. But uh, yeah, and, and there's not enough, there's no, there's no sort of sensor array on the front, which is what the notch is, right? Or what, where the notch would be. Because we don't have it. There's no notch on the um, 
iPad, is there? On the new iPad Pro? I don't think there is, right? I don't think there is, not. Yeah, <laughs> this is like a trivia time. I don't think there is. And I think we said, oh, it's because the bezels can be a little bit larger because you're not trying to shave yes. off millimeters like yeah. you are on a phone. Right, right. Yeah, cool. And that said, um, another link, another uh, story here from um, Nine to Five Mac is the man, the manufacturer of the Face ID um, technology or, or the array uh, has uh, stated that they have a behind the OLED sensor that could eliminate the bezel entirely entirely on the new phones going forward. So this is from um, AMS, the supplier that makes the the Touch IDs or sorry the Face IDs. That's a promising thing. We'll get rid of the notch altogether on the phones, right? Yeah, I mean, I hope. That means that all the all the nifty cool sensors that go into that notch and hide behind this, um, I think that is sort of the ideal, right? We're we're so close to edgeless. Um, some people say the notch, other people say ears. I'm going to call it the notch because that's what everybody knows. I mean, I think nobody enjoys the notch. Um, I've mentioned on this very show that I don't really notice mine too much. On yeah, the you don't iPhone look at 10. it really. Yeah, but you can. I mean, if I'm watching full screen video like for a long period of time, it's like, oh yeah, there's this little area that's like not displaying video. I think it's a reasonable compromise, but a compromise nonetheless. So if you can shove all that circuitry um, behind the glass and, and give me even more room to see stuff, it's like, yeah, sure. That's why we're all using safe area, right? 2019. Exactly. Update yeah, your yeah. apps for safe area because they make this change is going to screw up your app if you don't. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and the photo app, Photos app still uses letterboxing, right? With uh, It never goes edge to edge on the uh, photo app as well mm-hmm. in landscape mm-hmm. mode. Now, as this article points out, of course, only having the inf- the uh, proximity sensor behind the OLED isn't enough to get rid of the notch because there's a bunch of other things that are in the notch as well. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I was just thinking about that because of the true depth camera. Right, you know, right. Yeah, like I have I have a, a sleeve, that, like a plastic sleeve that I seal up to take my phone into wet environments and, and the uh, the t- true depth camera doesn't work through it because it can't, can't, you know, it's getting distorted by the plastic, yeah. right? In some sense, I think the proximity sensor would be the easiest thing because... Right. What this depends on is light penetrating through the OLED screen and getting mm-hmm. to the sensor behind it. Uh, and so for proximity, you don't really need a lot of resolution. It's kind of, you know, on or off in some sense, and it doesn't have to be any kind of resolution at all. So so it, it could it could presumably work with just a reasonably small amount of light that, that managed, managed to penetrate through, and that's, and that's fine. But for something like a camera, that would just be impossible because, right, right. you know, getting the light through there without, without it interfering with the with the light that's being sent out by the OLED itself would just be would just be uh, something that doesn't doesn't seem feasible. I mean, I can't say well someone won't come up with a clever solution to do it, but it, but that part of it doesn't seem feasible. Yeah, but we'll see. Oh, we're back to the the Wall Street Journal blocking our. our <laughs> I don't understand why I can click on a link earlier in the day and then come back later on and and uh, it's blocked. I actually have the paper here from the Toronto Star. This came out of the Toronto Star. This uh, story about Apple's answer to slower iPhone sales is getting customers to trade in devices. And this is we've seen this in the last couple of weeks in in the the home pages of Apple where they've offered these deals, um, and it's a low price on, for instance, the iPhone XR. And yet, when you go to dig around in the website, you can't really find what the details of that is. But apparently, if you take your phone, your existing iPhone seven, eight, ten, to the Apple stores, the retail stores, they'll give you you know two three hundred dollars for them um, and knock the price down on on a new phone for you as well. So I think that's what this article was saying. Let me just grab the, the paper. Paper. Hang on one sec. Yeah, Tim, I, I think I definitely agree with that. Um, it makes a lot 
lot of sense. I mean, it's uh, relatively you know small in this grand scheme of things, sort of cost for Apple to say, all right, how much does Gazelle offer? All right, what could somebody reasonably get for this iPhone on eBay if they were really you know, looking to go through the hassle? And then just choose a number that makes people happy. Um, it gets people onto newer devices. It seems like a pretty pretty easy win for them at, at their scale and how much money they have. Mm-hmm. And especially with the amount of recycling that they're doing now, they're they're getting more phones back to recycle and reuse the parts or at least the, the materials. Yeah, it's saying here in the article that, that iPhone users are keeping their phones longer 2.83 years on average. Um, you know, so yeah, so most people are, are trading in things that are almost three years old. So that's going to affect, you know, sales. And I, I think, yeah, like um, <laughs> one one commenter here says that she's going to have her iPhone plus 8 plus until she die or until I die kind of thing, right? So people are having a tr- hard time moving away from the phones because again, it's a jump to move to the new phone, right? As well, the, the 10R. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely pricing uh, inconvenience. And these phones are reaching the point or maybe have already given where the market is right now. They're probably good enough for the vast majority of people. Um, I'm going to tend to upgrade probably every, you know, every two years. Um, it may slow down if I'm like, mm, yeah, I don't know. Um, or, or as we've mentioned before, maybe I might go the opposite direction and say, oh, I'm going to upgrade every year because I'm going to be on the uh, iPhone upgrade program and turn it into iPhone as a service is what it essentially, or as a subscription is what it becomes at that point. Yeah, and this is interesting because we've, we've talked about the fact that Apple doesn't tend to discount their, their products. They don't really offer discounts, but apparently they're offering an, an additional $100 credit with this trade-in deal, right? So um, so it's it, uh, this may be an American figure because I'm looking at the Toronto Star here, but it says price of 449 by the time you do all the trade-in values, right? Rather than paying 749 That's trading in your, your older device based on quality of device, right? So the condition of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's interesting, interesting turn of events. Um, Mark, you have something else here too. I think we've talked about this in the past, right? Uh, but this is a story from today as well. Yeah, actually, the the title and the link is a little bit deceiving because it's the actual title of the article is is about Apple cutting the prices of the iPhone eight, the ten R, the ten S, and the ten S Max for Chinese vendors. Oh, really? So, yeah, yeah. So it looks like they've cut the price of the ten R by roughly sixty six dollars US, and the mm-hmm. other phones are approximately $59 US. So it's kind of a 10% discount on that. So uh, that's kind of an interesting move. You know, it's it's it's, it's hard to say whether that's a, a response to the 10R not selling well or, or a response to Chinese sales just being down in general. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, we'll see. Oh, it also says in the same article, it's talking about in Japan, uh, there's a carrier, NTT Docomo, is offering $100 off uh, if you agree to a two-year contract, mm-hmm. so that's an even even uh, bigger. So contract. you were saying you were saying too that that um, uh, you can't get a subsidized phone in the states anymore, right? No, you can't. You can't, which is kind yeah, of so. A- yeah, which is we can in Canada because I got last year I got my phone my um, I got my iPhone 10, which should have been I believe around fifteen hundred dollars Canadian. I got it for nine hundred dollars Canadian, mm. and I just signed and just signed into a two-year two-year two deal. Year so they take a little bit off each each uh, um, payment to Rogers goes towards the price of the subsidi- subsidizing my phone. Yeah. The subsidies used to be really good. I, I think it was, you would get a new phone for one ninety nine with a two year contract back a few years back. Well, maybe they can't compete with the Apple, the plan that you're on where you get the phone and you pay so much per month to directly to Apple, right? Don't you have well, the, the, yeah. Um, may, what I'm saying is maybe the carriers can't compete, but that was introduced at exactly the same time that the subsidies went away. I think that was done, purpose, uh, you know, 
know, sweeten it a little bit or, or take away some of the pain of all of a sudden the right. price of a phone going from 200 bucks to at the time it was six or 700 bucks and now even higher. So it just makes it a little bit easier for people. I, th- I think that was done intentionally as, as a response to that. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause we don't have that here in Canada and which, and, but yet we can still get a subsidized phone from our carriers, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Closest thing I've seen is when they're like, oh, sign up for a contract and we'll also do this um, payment plan and just include that as part of your um, your contract service. But it really ends up being like a zero interest loan payment right. plan. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like you're buying a mattress, like, oh, no interest for, you know, 12 months or something. Um, but it's not as if, oh, this $1,000 phone is now $700. Right. Like you're still right. paying the full amount. And, discount. Yeah. Right. And this next link here, I'm going back to my new, my physical newspaper because <laughs> it's another Wall Street Journal link. Um, but yeah, this is uh, Samsung is also claiming that their next quarter is going to have a 30% drop. So it's not just affecting Apple now. It's also affecting Samsung, I guess, the sort of market. Um, I think I read somewhere that um, the iPhone had sort of reached its peak in terms of sales worldwide. And um, it looks like it's starting to ha- happen. They're using the word bellwether. They must have seen our episode last week. Um, yeah, Samsung was a bellwether for global tech, tech industry, producing devices like smartphones, television, while applying components for other worldwide electronic companies. So Samsung's struggles are coming, you know, after Apple's uh, made a surprise revelation about cutting the guidance as well, right? So blaming Chinese economy for weakened iPhone demand. So Samsung looks like they're also feeling the pinch. Mm -hmm. I think it says a lot about the modern economy. I mean, um, let's say, when was this? Ten years ago, ten-ish years ago during the, the mortgage crisis, the United States economy goes into a very deep recession in the whole world felt it right like everybody understandably feels when at least at the time the number one economy in the world goes down everybody else feels it because suddenly you have this large market that's not buying stuff or not importing stuff it says a lot about china as a global economy mover and shaker that it is having a rough time economically and now the rest of the world including the united states feels that pain in south korea obviously since uh, samsung is involved here yeah it says here in the article that um, samsung is also feeling the pinch from their memory business, which is a large portion of their business. Um, yeah, three, quarter of their, three quarters of their operating prof- profits is going to also have a, a tough time in the first three months of 2019, but then it'll pick up later, they say. Yeah. What was interesting to me was, you know, when I first saw the headline, I was like, well, duh, obviously Samsung is is a huge supplier for iPhone for Apple. Yeah. parts. And so if Apple is having trouble, that Samsung's going to have trouble too. And reading some more of the details, like, oh, it's not just iPhone related parts. They're struggling with other areas too. Yeah. All right. So what's this? Uh, uh, Ubico announcement. Yeah, so for folks out there who might or might not be familiar with the YubiKeys, kind of these like little USB devices that you can just sort of shove mm-hmm. into your your laptop, and it's used for two-factor authentication. So you you know do your normal thing. You're using uh, hopefully you're using a password manager like One Password. Say hey, here's my password, and then the system say aha, prove that you are who you say you are, and you know you can take the little key off your key ring and put it into your laptop. I was like great, it gives me the one-time authentication code that I was expecting to see. Very similar to like Google Authenticator or uh, Authy. And I, and I think one password actually has this capability too, where I can give you the one time code um, as sort of a, you know, you have 30 seconds to enter in this six character or six digit um, number or uh, sort of a lesser um, or more common but less desirable from a security standpoint. Uh, two factor authentication code would come through like SMS text messages, right? Um, this is more in the having something else with you that, like, let's say somebody, heaven forbid, broke into your passwords and know your 
passwords now. Well, if you're protected by this key, it doesn't really matter um, unless they find your key, right? And shove it in. The big area that wasn't like perfectly covered was stuff like iPhones. Uh, it mentions here in this article that, yeah, you could pair, you know, over Bluetooth. It's a little bit less secure or maybe a lot less secure uh, than physical connection. And like, whoops, <laughs> maybe it also is trying to connect to my Android device. And that's not what I want. Now, Yubico, the company who's making these YubiKeys, is making uh, Lightning port compatible versions. So that's really nice. Uh, I might pick up one of these and try one out. Um, as far as I know, Yubico is one of the larger providers of this sort of thing. I have no idea who the competitors are, but uh, I think I've heard good things about this. So I have a question. I wonder about this when just, you know, just where my, my mind goes. Um, what happens if something happens and you damage the key? I don't know the fallback. I assume it's kind of like other ones where it's like, all right, here are 10 one time, like, like until the universe, the heat death of the universe sort of like truly one time codes and you print them out and you shove them in like a safe or a bank safe deposit box. And then, you know, hopefully you're not abroad somewhere when that happens is what I believe it is. If somebody out there knows better than I do, uh, Mark, do you know what happens if this key gets destroyed or damaged somehow? What is the fallback to get into your, your stuff? Mm, that's a tough one. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, they might have to send you a new key. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah. Or either that or they, they you must have like with one password, they have this big long string that, yeah. that they keep it a safe sort of thing, you know? Yeah, there may be a, a backdoor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, if anybody out there knows, use hashtag AskMTJC yeah. on Twitter and let us know because I'm sure we could we could find out but i am very curious how this is used in like actual production environments versus like hey what could i just go google like if you have uh, personal experience with this either as an individual or uh, even better if you're part of like an enterprise deployment that is like whoops you know bob and sally from hr they both lost their keys so i have to replace them how do i get access back into there be very curious about that interesting okay cool so, so back in the old days we used to have these little uh, it was like a credit card size thing with a yeah. lcd display that would that would give you a number that you have to type in anytime you had to to log in uh, and if you lost that you were pretty much out of luck all you could do is take your computer back to the corporate IT department where they had sort of a master one and they could unlock it oh that protected the whole computer wow we use that on our, our VPN service like a sort of token uh-huh uh -huh. and it's a rotating rotating key it rotates every 20 seconds yeah but yeah that's just for VPN we don't use that to log into mm. our devices yeah yeah okay. yeah but yeah because I, I know that I'd looked at security in the past, like their fingerprint readers and stuff like that. Like Mac OS has always supported those things for, you know, last 10 years or so, mm -hmm. um, where you could just, you know, get a device and use it to, to as a second factor authentication. But uh, as, you know, instead, as well as your password or, but not so much instead of your password. That sounds kind of weird. That's back in the old Windows days. I, I do remember those. Kind yeah. Of yeah. It was definitely a Windows thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Speaking of not Windows. Um, so Jaime, what, uh, what has Tim Cook announced? Yeah, I feel like this kind of wraps up not only the main portion of this episode, but sort of the theme we've been talking about this whole episode, as well as the prior one, which is uh, Tim Cook apparently talked to uh, Jim Cramer. You might know him from Mad Money on CNBC. He yeah. says that uh, Apple will announce new services this year. Um, I certainly expect that to be the television service we talked about and, uh, multiple times over the past year. Uh, maybe some other things. I, I have no idea. But if you've, if you've been paying attention to the last couple of episodes or even the last year, I think subscription and recurring revenue is the name of the game for Apple, just like it probably is for us at the uh, sort of normal corporate or indie dev sort of level. I'm expecting more in the health space as well. Apple seems to 
put a lot of effort and priority on that. Uh, in fact, there was, it wasn't in this article, but I saw a different article where there was a very intriguing uh, quote from Tim Cook, uh, something to the effect of they're going to do something that's going to disrupt, revolutionize. No, no, it's, <laughs> it was, it was, it was going to be the, the biggest thing they've ever done to, to improve the world or something to that effect. Really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, something. The biggest I mean, philanthropic thing or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, and uh, I, I seem to remember it. I can't find the article now, but I seem to remember it being in the context of health. So hmm. who knows what they're going to do, but um, you know, maybe it'll be a way to have all your health records available online or something like that, which would be kind of an interesting thing. Hmm. Hmm. What if, uh, so we're at the spitballing section here. So what if they had some measure of, um, let's call it Apple healthcare for back of a, back of a better term mm-hmm. where, okay, crazy thought. So what do we know about Apple? They have boatloads of cash, probably literal boatloads of cash somewhere off the Cayman Islands or something. Um, they have a customer base that they probably know a decent amount, um, not through like creepy privacy things, but just sort of like, you know, they, they have to do their own marketing analysis and figure out, you know, what do we tend to know about the kind of consumer who can afford our premium priced product? And I would say, hmm, I bet you you could do a healthcare-ish type thing. Maybe it's something uh, smaller. You know, I'm not talking like a, a universal healthcare or a single payer healthcare. What if it's like a vision program? So like everybody uses probably here in the United States, it's probably like VSP, right? I don't even remember what they stand for, but they, they pay them a small amount of money per month, per year, whatever it is. It's, it's so small. I don't even think about it. And I get things like uh, yearly contact lenses or every couple of years get new pair of glasses. Why couldn't Apple use that as a subscription service type thing as a, um, you know, they might have some self-diagnostic type tools, like, you know, think of more things related to Apple Watch or um, <laughs> if Greg was on the show <laughs> right now, we could talk about like, hey, uh, you guys are using the true depth sensor, right? For topology and, and scanning mm-hmm. people's faces to find, you know, cool glasses. Well, why couldn't Apple do that? They have boatloads of cash, as I mentioned before. Um, this is what I'm kind of wondering if they're could be leaning towards because they, they would know like, hey, this isn't for like everybody and anybody. This is for people who probably have access to money and probably have access to general things that can uh, help keep them healthy, right? Like, or or maybe imagine they the, offer low-cost health insurance for people who use an Apple Watch or health kit. True, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. FaceTime with a doctor, you know, for yeah. for your monthly yeah. subscription fee. Like, hey, should I go in to see something? Or is this kind of like, no, don't worry about it. You know, take some Sudafed, go to sleep. Or do not disturb when driving. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. By the way, do you guys do you guys get uh, fines if you're if you're caught using your phones when you're driving in states where you are at? Yeah, in California, you do. It's illegal. What's the what's the the, the penalty? Do you know? I don't know because they just they just upped our penalty January first here in in I don't know if it's Canada wide or at least in Ontario anyway. The thousand dollars plus a three hour or sorry a three point three demerit points and I think when you reach a certain number of demerit points you have to go and get your test again and you can lose your insurance. It's going to affect your insurance rates and a bunch of other things too. And it's so I think it I think I heard today that it's, it, you literally have to pull your car over and turn off the engine to use your phone. Hmm. Yeah. So it's not Just nearly people. as as uh, steep in California. It's if you if you are caught texting while driving. Yeah. It's a twenty dollar fine for the first offense and fifty dollar fine for further offenses. So there's no d- deterrent, right? Except twenty dollars or fifty dollars. I mean, it should be twenty dollars per character, don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the people writing novels. Oh, actually, uh, reading this article, it says the base fine is just the start of what the what a violator will pay. After assessments are added, the total for first violation will probably be greater than $150. And mm-hmm. the second or further offense can cost more than.
than two hundred fifty dollars. Not sure what the assessments are. Yeah, so we had we up until now we had a four hundred dollar fine, and and police were doing things like riding on on buses and streetcars so they could look down into the cars to see people mm. on the street, you know, using their phones, and uh, it's still pretty rampant here. I mean, like, I mean, I think the majority of people are not doing it, but yeah, you see people at inter- at lights looking down their laps, and you know, or the, the light will change, and the guy you know in front is got to get horn beeped at him to, to move because he's obviously got his attention on something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. All right, let's move on to our picks. Um, so I have a, a quick pick here. Uh, so uh, one of the people we follow on the show, uh, Paul Hudson, has a uh, has also known as Two Straws on Twitter, um, has a, a, a section he's been putting out last week called Xcode in 10 Seconds and sort of little tiny uh, videos, 10 second long videos with tips and tricks on using um, Xcode. And a couple of one, couple of ones that caught my attention. One was um, a command to um, clean up your uh, old simulators. I don't know if you've been using Xcode for a while. He says in his, in his tweet that uh, you'll have, um, you know, a number of simulators that are no longer in use that you've, you know, you've been building to for over time. And so this command, um, so you run XC run uh, simctl or sim, sim s or simctl delete unavailable, and it'll basically go through, uh, XC run will go through and clean up your, your um, application support folder and get rid of uh, simulators that are no longer in use or uh, connected to your Xcode projects. That's kind of a handy one. Um, that's a pretty nice thing. Yeah. And that, Actually, well, the, the other one we talked about. but that's. Yeah. But this is, I did it yesterday, just yeah, super, yeah, super fast. Um, the other one that uh, we've talked about before is, is you know, quickly launching uh, Xcode by typing uh, XDD in the um, the directory of the app you're working on, and it'll it'll open that project right into Xcode. Um, some things like you know some filtering on the jump bar, which you may or may not know. If you if you put your cursor to the jump bar and start typing the name of something, it'll it'll shortlist uh, items in your jump bar. So you can if you have a big long code base, you can jump from one place to the other. Um, some other hints are. Um, you know, identifying constraints within Xcode. Uh, another one interesting here for using watch points to just to uh, set watch points. I think we talked about this on the show before. You set a watch point, and uh, if you hit it, you can actually go back uh, previously and see where a call is being made from or where uh, you know value is being set. Kind of handy for that. Um, you know, there's there's a number of them. He's been he's been adding uh, every couple of days for the last little while. So I don't know if, he, don't know if he's doing like ten days of them, but they're they're handy. Regex searching is another one. Faster testing, which we've talked about the faster testing uh, shortcuts that I mean are big fans of. There's some things there. So I'll, I'll put a link to the channel here in uh, in uh, his YouTube channel in the show notes. But you can also follow him at Two Straws on Twitter and see these uh, Xcode in 10 seconds videos. So I just ran that command just to see what happens. It took yeah. about 10 seconds to run, pretty much exactly pretty the quick. time you were just talking. Uh, and it uh, it freed up about four gigs of space, which is pretty nice. Wow, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. cool. Yep. Yeah, I actually, I actually opened my uh, page or my folder where the where it was when I ran. I, I just mm-hmm. saw it flicker real quick in the finder, but I could see that it was doing something, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, so that's, nice. my, that's my pick. Ten Xcode in 10 seconds by Paul Hudson. What you got for us, Jaime? This is a blog post by uh, Bruno Rocha from On the Swift Rocks blog. And this one is titled Running Other Apps Siri Shortcuts Through Deep Links in Swift. And as far as I can tell, and I've only tried this out a little bit, there are apparently um, URL, uh, deep link URLs you can call to the shortcuts app um and you and if you know what the url is to something you're trying to get to you can trigger it by like just say clicking a link um let's say like an email or something uh and there's also the uh x callback url scheme that you can use to if i don't know if you guys remember this but like 
back in the day, um, before we had all sorts of cool, seamless ways to integrate things, you could say, oh, um, well, I really want to integrate with like Instagram's app, but um, hopefully they've integrated the X callback URL scheme where you'd have a, all right, after I deep link into your app, I want you to trigger some sort of action. And then when you're done with that action, come back to me with a success URL or potentially with an error URL. It uses that kind of old school scheme. And so I tried this out with um, back when the workflow app existed, the predecessor to shortcuts, uh, the app that is. I had created this uh, sort of convoluted scheme to go find out what is the top iOS podcast in iTunes. And it would go through all of those steps of making URL request. It would grab the data from iTunes after, the, you know, after searching for iOS development, and then it would parse out who the, um, the authors are. And it would say, hey, the top iOS podcast is, and like nine weeks out of 10, it will be this very podcast, more than just code. And that's great. And so I just created a little uh, link here that will, you know, let's say you have it like an email or I could put it in a tweet, I guess, that would trigger that shortcut in the shortcuts app, say what it says, and then come back to, well, in this case, just the email. But I could have it go to like an app, for example. Um, I'm not 100% certain what you could possibly do that's really useful here. I'm not going to lie. This is more of a uh, just for giggles sort of thing, but it was fun. And I think people should read this blog post. It's not very long. Probably take you like 10 minutes to read. Uh, if, if you find anything that you have constructed interesting out of this, uh, again, hit us up on Twitter, hashtag AskMTJC. If you follow one of the links at the bottom of the page, um, it links back to the X callback URL homepage and lists a bunch of apps that are using their their stuff in it. So did that that shortcut you used about the, the podcasting, was that using the X callback thing, Jaime? Yeah, let me let me pull up that exact link here. Hopefully I still have it in an easily accessible email. So here's some of the apps that have the X callback URL interfaces built in. Do Bear, Begin, Bread Wallet, Byword, uh, Couchfancy, Daymate, Drafts, uh, Evernote, Fantastical, uh, Google Chrome, Google Maps, uh, Instapaper, OmniFocus, Overcast, Toaster, Prismo, Number of Them, Scanner Go, Shortcuts, of course, <laughs> uh, Text Tactics, Things, Trello, Tumblr for iOS, Ulysses, a lot of different apps in here. Yeah, the, the author here says that he used this to make an app run his take picture shortcut every time he tapped his AirPods. Hmm. And then, oh, there you go. There's a actually a Twitter video that shows him. Look like he's double tapping his AirPods. And when he did that, it triggered triggered the URL. Again, I am just giving people the tools here of something I did not know about and nifty and cool. And I don't have the foggiest what I would practically do. But again, somebody it's else. It's Cody, though. It's good, good, you know, could more than just code, code stuff. <laughs> it's all just code. It's all just code, yeah. Cool. That's kind of how I got into programming was sort of these little utilities that you could use, you know, to do things that weren't, you know, advertised on the tin, you know. Like macros and batch scripts type stuff? Yeah, like, you know, I used to use Quick Keys a lot back in the day, and then, you know, FileMaker Pro had a bunch of things you could do in it, and you could write little programs and stuff like that. And, you know, yeah, not so much Excel and that kind of stuff, or Visual Basic, but those kind of things where you could you could do automations beyond um, the regular thing, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Record keystrokes and stuff like that for good purposes, <laughs> you know, for playback and that kind of thing. Neat. Mark, do you have anything for us? I don't this week. You don't? I actually hunted pretty hard, but I couldn't find anything 
everything. I don't know where you guys find all this stuff. <laughs> it just comes. This is application out there called Twitter. Yeah. You just dip your toes into the river and yeah, mm-hmm. into the stream. Just sort of look at the stream every now and then and go, oh, that would be interesting. That could be a pick. Oh, that could be an article. Mm. Yeah. Oh, there's one, one other thing too I want to talk about. Uh, I stumbled across this a couple of weeks ago and I and I, I linked it here in my in my browser. I forgot to talk about it. But another thing from hacking and Swift website, which is Paul uh, Hudson's website, if you're interested, is a thing called interview questions that he's got here. And um, it's a sort of, I think, it, I don't know if this is a link to it, but there was like a test that you could do and um, like an interactive test. You could test your own knowledge of Swift. I can't remember where I, where I would, I'll find the link and put it in show notes. But yeah, it was kind of a cool little tool. I didn't get a real chance to play around with it, but uh, it was um, you know sort of helpful if you if you want to find out where you sort of stand in terms of whether you're a junior developer, intermediate developer, or more advanced developer, you could go through this this tool and it would sort of ask you a bunch of, you could go through and ask a bunch of questions and it's called uh, Tester Swift. Um, there's a novice test, an intermediate test, or a, um, an expert test. And it'll go through and ask you questions that uh, you may or may not find in a job interview, but at least you'll get an idea of how you stand in terms of your knowledge of Swift in general. Uh, so that's the Swift, Tester Swift on the Hacking Smooth Swift um, website. I'll put a link in the show notes for you guys. And I find with quizzes like that are, are good as a sort of a general guideline, but don't take them too sure. seriously because a lot of times they reflect the interests or knowledge of the person making the quiz really as yeah. much as as much as what a you know a general purpose test sure. would be all right well i guess that's it for another week eh honey so honey where <laughs> where would people find you on the internets i'm on twitter is at dev of the hair all right and mark how people can get in touch with you mark r at smapsoft.com all right my name is timitra t-i-m-m-i-t-r-a on the twitter machine is how to find me and of course you can always you know send us a tweet with hat ask hashtag ask mtjc and uh otherwise we'll talk to you guys next week bye This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find out details on how to help us out on the website, mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Now stick around for the after show, and thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. So you're going to be a world traveler soon, Jaime, huh? Indeed. It seems like it was the time for um, everybody to come back from the holidays and do their uh, CFP selection times because I got a whole swarm of rejections. So I'm definitely not speaking at CraftConf in our Budapest, Hungary. I'm definitely not speaking at MOB or MOB OS in um, Romania, Cluj-Napoca, that would be the place. But am, because uh, I previously had the Code Mobile in the UK and now the DevRelCon in in Tokyo.
So Tim, what was asking for your photo access that you were? Oh, it's like about? like every time I go to save something now on Mojave, it's like, oh, it needs to have access to your photos. I'm like, yeah, whatever, I don't care, you know. Yeah, I think it's a new permission model because uh, like fix it. <laughs> relatively recently moved to Mojave on both my yeah. personal and work laptop, and I know for sure Zoom because you know we recorded a podcast not long after I made that transition. But also Slack on my work machine wanted access to stuff because we started using their um, equivalent of Zoom, where you can share documents and share your screen and stuff. So that also asked for like microphone and video and all these other things. So what I was surprised to find out about Mojave was that I couldn't back up my phones. Like I don't use iCloud for backup. I use I use a local drive on my machine and it didn't matter what it, I kept trying. And then I had to go into system preferences to security, which is going there now, security and privacy. And I had to click on, for you might have to do this for a number of apps. So I had to click on full disk access and then I had to uh, authorize um, iTunes to be able to back up my phone for some strange reason, right? And my iPad as well. And then once I did that, then iTunes started behaving normally. But you kind of think Apple would have had that figured out, you know? Or maybe because I'm writing to an external drive with an alias and like with a symbolic link or whatever, right? But yeah, it's very weird. Yeah, I, I think you're definitely um, outside of the boundary of what I assume they normally test. Not to say your case mm-hmm. is invalid, because if it supports it, they should cover that too, right? And regression testing. But I yeah. can kind of understand why it might have fallen through. And it does seem like a lot of this is them locking down permissions on stuff, mm-hmm. which sort of yeah. makes sense. I mean, I don't want, you know, some random app just grabbing, you know, video content and stuff. And I'm not even aware. I, I get that. Um, I wish there was like a, like a wizard or something or be like, look, here are these apps you commonly use. And it, it looks like you use the microphone all the time on, on zoom. Would you like to enable that? Um, rather than being surprised and shocked when it comes up at, at random intervals. Well, so here, let's take a look at my photos, right? So I'm, I'm in that same section. I'm under security and privacy on the privacy tab, and I'm looking at photos. So Photoshop, Acrobat Reader, Illustrator, Final Cut, Terminal needs access to my photos. Doc, uh, Finder, Simulator, Logic Pro X, BB Edit, Android Studio, IntelliJ, ID, IntelliJ IDE, whatever. Clean, clean my Mac makes sense. Excel and Word, <laughs> and even my disk analyzer, Source Tree, Yummy, Yummy FTP Pro, and Zoom need access to my photos. But, you know, again, I don't really, I, I guess anytime you hit a site, it, you hit the save dialog box and it's not sure it's wants it prompts you to ask or access to your photos and it's funny because i've seen a lot of people it, same as the microphone too you'll get the microphone uh, notice too right that's that same permissions thing that we've had to do on in our apps in ios for for a long time too permissions and stuff it's just odd yeah i'm a little surprised on terminal having access to photos is there like a command line utility that you ran that was yeah. uh, like image magic or something so, possibly so this just happened after you upgraded to mojave yeah it's been happening more and more yeah but i've been having all sort of all kinds of weird uh, I mean not weird I mean like yeah permissions things you're on Mojave already aren't you Mark yeah uh, on a couple of machines and I haven't seen this at all really yeah. hmm. 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 maybe you're not doing the suspicious stuff that I'm doing maybe no nefarious <laughs> you, activity you are uh, you are in Canada that's true that's true yeah Tim do you do you get the like random hey this app is not architected for the future yeah. or, or yeah. whatever it's intended those. to say I do get those all the time yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. it's mostly apps that I haven't looked at in four years and just never got around to deleting. Yeah, well, in my case, it's things that I haven't, that I've um, been using for some time, like like Photoshop. I'm still, I'm, you know, still transitioning over to a new product, either that or, or I'll go to the Adobe Creative Suite, but Excel and 
Word, those kind of things. I don't. I only use them maybe once or twice a week, not or if that, you know. Mm-hmm. So, in fact, I never use Word, but uh, but I know I use Excel from for a few things, but you know, not enough to go out and buy a copy of Excel or, or new update it, right? Well, those kind of things pop up and say this is not ca- happy. And I think isn't it in the next operating system is this stuff is not just not going to work, right? Is that what the warning was? I I think so. I've I've only seen it a handful of times, and usually, like, yeah, okay, whatever, and I just get it out of the way so I don't pay attention and take a screenshot it's of the, it. It's the 64-bit, 32-bit thing, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm not sure they said it would be specifically the next one, but it's at some point in the future. Right, right. Okay. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.